All right, let me repeat all that for the tape, please. I'm just kidding. I'm more excited, my point is, um, honestly, to speak to you today and, and, and to begin talking about where we're going. The last time we were in Ephesians, it was the end of chapter 1. And I think it was appropriate. If you remember, uh, it was Paul's prayer concluding his long opening sentence in Ephesians chapter 1. He gave no commands in the opening sentences of Ephesians chapter 1. It was all truth about who God is and what God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit accomplished from eternity to eternity already in time and space in the person of Jesus, the whole redemptive plan, how God chose us, elected us, called us out, adopted us, that whole amazing picture, that whole discourse that is designed to just blow you away. And cause you just to fall back in your seat and say, wow, God did all that. And at the end of that, Paul prays that we, that we understand what he's just tried to unfold for us. Because it was so much. He says, I, I've got to pray for us that we get a little bit of this more than what we had before. And what we did the last time we were in Ephesians, as I felt led, was really I wanted that prayer to be for us and be for you. And so I, I barely explained the prayer, verse 15 through 23. I really just let you sit and we, we prayed it for our church, looking forward to starting our seventh year. I want to come back. I thought I was going to keep going in Ephesians, but I want to unpack that prayer for you a little bit because I think, I think you got to understand it. You've got to understand it a little better if we're going to know where we're going in our Sabbath year. Verse 15 says this, to start Paul's prayer section here. For this reason too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you. These are believers he's talking to. And that's, that's interesting and important for you to know. This prayer is going to be prayer, a prayer for the believers, for the saints who call Ephesus home. It's a prayer for us. And so he's going to say this prayer, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which already exists among you. But look at what else he's heard of. He's not just heard of their faith. He's heard of their love for all the saints. Isn't it interesting how action pairs with faith right here? He's going to say this prayer thinking of the Ephesian church and the surrounding churches, not just because he knows that they've made a decision for Christ, but he's heard of their activity in loving one another. How about, how about putting those two together for something powerful? Not just faith in Christ, but a faith that moves his people to action. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that a powerful combination? I mean, that's, that's truth and love together. Now watch how that, how that comes to pass. He does not cease giving thanks, verse 16, for them while making mention of them in his prayers. He's going to thank God for them, but he's also going to offer a prayer for them. Here's his prayer, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, to be more specific, the Father of glory, that he may give you something, two things. Number one, a spirit of wisdom. And I'm going to go through this a little faster than I planned because i got to add the message on top of the message that God just directed. The Father of glory, here's Paul's prayer for them. 
after he has given thanks for their faith and for their love for all the saints, here's his prayer for them, that the Father of all glory, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, who accomplished what he explained at the beginning of chapter 1, that he would give us something. Here's the first thing, a spirit of wisdom. The spirit of wisdom, you have to understand, can only come from God. You can't acquire wisdom by your own understanding. God has to grant wisdom. That's his first prayer. To the saints, listen, I'm praying God gives you something more than just your faith and the activity of loving one another. I'm going to ask that God do something on top of that, church. I'm going to ask that he grant you, gift you, hand you, give you something you can't attain on your own, a wisdom that is beyond you. That's a good prayer. Look at the second thing. And you could say a spirit also of revelation. Revelation is something that someone else has to do for you. The curtain has to be pulled back. There has to be a revealing. God has to do that as well. So Paul says, I'm going to pray for you, the saints, that God gives you these things. Wisdom, a revealing. Revealing of what? Wisdom toward what? In the knowledge of him, or literally in a true knowledge, true knowing of him. Not just a faith that says, I, I take Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, I'm going to believe what he's done. It's not simply an intellectual faith. It's a faith that moves. And he's hinted to that already. That he thanks God not just for their faith, but their love for all the saints that he's hearing about. It, it's, it's an activity that comes from their faith. It's, it's a movement that comes from their faith. He says, I'm going to pray you get wisdom, revelation. A deeper, true knowing of him. Wisdom towards what? Revealing of what? More God. That you would see more of this father of glory. When John was called up into the third heaven, he says he saw things that no one was permitted to to see, that God let him see. And he was not permitted to speak of the things that he saw. Do you understand that there is a glory of God that is beyond us, even as believers, in the here and now? That we will one day, when we see him face to face, understand and be blown away even more. Do you know that God allowed Paul to see him in a way that none of us have seen him before? And Paul, it did something to him. It did something to him from the inside out. He longed to be with his father in a way that maybe we never have. To be absent from the bodies, to be present from, f- with the Lord. I, I long to, to work here with you, he says, but I, even more, I want to be, be there with him. He's going to pray that we, we have this greater wisdom and revelation of a knowing this father of glory. And it's not just a surface knowledge. It's a, it's a heart knowing. There's an intimacy here in his word. There, we're, there's a depth here in his words. It, it's at a heart level that is deeper. It was said of Jesus in Luke 24, uh, verse 32. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? When Jesus taught them the word, it wasn't just a knowledge that, that entered into their head. They responded by having this burning in their heart. It moved them to activity. It wasn't just truth on this level. It was truth in their gut that caused them to burn from within. 
That is, that is, I think, what Paul's praying for us. That kind of wisdom, that deeper knowledge and revelation of who God is. And he has to do it. He has to give it to us. You cannot, I cannot attain to it on our own. He says it another way in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart, what a great phrase, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened. That's what we need. That's what he's praying. That can only come from God alone. So that you will know. So that we'll know what? Three things. Look at what he says. Verse 18, he gives us the first two. And he goes through the first two pretty quickly. The first thing he wants us to know, what is the hope of his calling? That's who we are in Christ. That's what he has done in calling us. Hope in scripture is not just a, I wish this would happen. Uh, I, I hope it rains today. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. That's not hope biblically. Biblically, hope is a surety, something we stand upon and we expect to happen. That's the hope of our calling, is the surety that we know what he's done when he's called us out of sin into righteousness. And so what is he, what is he praying that the eyes of our heart are open to, are enlightened to, a greater knowing so that we will know what is at a, at a deeper level, because as a believer, you know this already to some degree or another, or you wouldn't be called a believer. We wouldn't be the saints. He's praying for a deeper level, a deeper wisdom, a revelation, an enlightening, an opening, that the eyes of our heart, not just our head, would see something to a greater degree. What does he want us to see? Number one, the hope of our calling. We've got to understand that, and that's what he unpacked throughout chapter one of how God has planned this whole thing out to redeem us. There is, a, there is a security that we stand on when we talk about the hope of our calling, God redeeming us. It's kind of like he says, there is confidence in looking back at what God has done. But there, keep going in verse 18, he says something else pretty quickly. Also, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Where does that come? That's in the future. That God has for you something amazing planned that you, you and I can't fathom. One day in heaven, we'll see those streets of gold, the pearly gates, all those things that we, that we sing about in those old hymns. All that God has planned for us, the riches of the inheritance that comes to sons and daughters who've been adopted, chosen. We get it. We get it. He has given us his name as adopted sons and daughters, pulls us onto his lap as our new father. Brothers and sisters of the only begotten son, we are adopted sons and daughters. And he says, listen, everything I have is is yours. Listen, my name is now your name. My house is now your house. Everything in my refrigerator is yours. That car, it's yours. Everything I have is yours. When I'm gone, when I pass on, everything is yours. The riches of the inheritance. So you see what he's doing here? It's kind of bookending from eternity to eternity. The hope of his calling, which he's already explained from eternity past. The riches of the inheritance you have to come. That's, that's what we have to look forward to in the future. He prays that we get that. That we get both those things at a deeper level. But that's not it. The third thing, verse 19, also that we would know, that we would have wisdom, revelation, enlightenment. The eyes of our heart would be open to know at a a deeper heart level what is 
verse 19, the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Not just his power, mind you. (laughs) Check out the redundancy here. Not just his power. He's not just praying that we understand his power, but the greatness of his power. Not just the greatness of his power, but the surpassing greatness of his power. So three things. The hope of our calling. The riches of the inheritance for sons and daughters adopted. But also for the here and now, church, you know what we, you know what we need at a greater heart level? You know what we need as we are moving into our Sabbath year? You know what we need to glean from all the truth that he's poured out here in just chapter 1? We need to be praying for a deeper wisdom, revelation, enlightenment, opening of our hearts to the power that we have in Christ in us. That's Paul's prayer for the saints. And it's actually the emphasis of his prayer. Why do you say that? I say that because it gets five verses. The hope of our calling, half a verse. The future riches of the glory of our inheritance, half of a verse. 19, the power now, here. I'm praying you get it. And the rest of the chapter, the next four verses, he explains, he unpacks, he he continues to help us know what is this power he's praying for us. Watch this. Verse 19. What is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. He's explaining the power here that we have right now so that we have a greater wisdom and understanding and knowledge of it, that we know it at a greater, deeper level. So that, not just so that we have a head knowledge, but so that we have the burning heart knowledge that moves us into further action. Okay, that's where we're headed here. So he's going to tell us about this surpassing great power. It's a power that is according to the working of the strength of his might. Your might? My might? No, not at all. The power comes not from you. It's not by strength, not by our might. It's his power. Look at what it's in accordance to. Verse 20, he brought it about in Christ. The display of his power can be summed up in what he's done in the life of his son, Christ. Specifically, when he was raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. What kind of power do you and I supposedly have, according to Scripture, according to Paul's theology here? What kind of power do we have? We have in us, somehow, some way, I don't understand it, you can't fathom it, somehow we have resurrection power, church. Or do we? Or do we? No wonder Paul has to pray this prayer. And no wonder he has to sit on this this part about our power for five verses. Because I don't know about you, but I don't know that I fully live in the power that God says I have. And we can talk crazy, charismatic. We could go whatever direction. You could put whatever label you want to put on it. Uh, you can make it seem uh, weird if you want to. But I'm just telling you that there is a power of God that we very likely have not tapped into that causes within us a greater wisdom and understanding 
and knowing of who the Father of glory is. That doesn't just stop there, but it creates in us this burning heart for Him and for those who don't know Him around us. That gives us a passion for the rest of our life. That gives us a motivation and a purpose for what you do tomorrow and the next day and the next day so that you're not just spinning your wheels, going out and furthering your career, adding to your retirement, collecting stuff so that when you kick, your kids can have a giant yard sale and sell it all off anyway. Paul's prayer here, I think, is is dead on for me. I don't know about you. The hope of his calling, I'm with you. The riches of our inheritance, amen. The power that is in accordance to what he's done in Jesus, namely raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand, I I don't know that I live that way. I need to pray this prayer. How about you? Um, As I was going through this, you know what I, I was struck um, to do just to stop and say, God, I want to pray this for me. I want to pray this for me. And I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know what it, what it's going to mean, but I, I know that there's power there that I've very likely not tapped into. And I know there's something within me that you want to accomplish through me and be using me and using us in ways that maybe we haven't allowed you because we haven't asked for this level, this heart level of power. It's in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. That's Joseph next to Pharaoh, rejected, betrayed, He finds himself at the right hand of the king. All authority is granted to him. Far above, verse 21, all rule and authority and power and dominion. Seated at the right hand of the father of the the king of glory, he gets authority over all. Watch the prepositions here. Jesus, who is resurrected, gets seated at the right hand of the father. Now he is above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Any of those things on this earth, he is above them. And every name that is named, he is above it. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. In all the earth and in all time and space, he's above. He's not just above. Look at verse 22. And he put all things, the Father now has put all things in subjection. Look at the preposition. It's not above now, it's under his, that's Jesus' feet. And gave Jesus as head, that's not just, it's kind of a dual, dual image here. It's not just head meaning authority head, but it's head like the physical head because he's going to unpack that. Over, you got the next preposition? Above, under, now over, how many things? All things. That's the power that Jesus has. What kind of power do we have access to? We have a power of a God who has raised his son from the dead, seated him at his right hand, put him above every name through all time, this age, the one to come, the one past, all of them. He is above all. Everything is under his feet. He is over it all. Watch this next phrase. Unto the church. 
unto the church. All that, all that, placing Christ at the right hand, making him the head over all those things, his feet on top of all those things, all that power is now connected to us. You see, he wasn't just talking about Jesus. He wasn't just, he wasn't just going on and on about God's power. He was talking about God's power so that he could bring you and I back into the picture and say that this head is connected now to a body. And he gets to be the head. But, but check this out. He's the head unto the church. What's the church? Verse 23. The church is his body. You get the, you get the physical picture here? That he gets to be the one in charge, but we get to be the body. He gets to be at the right hand of the Father. But for the rest of these days, until we enter eternity future, guess what? We get to be hands, feet. We get to be the extension of the power of God that started in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He gets to be the head. We get to be the body. We get to be the movement of his power here on earth. Do you know that? Do you understand that? Do you gather the weight of that responsibility? Do we live in that power? I, I just don't, I don't think I do. I'm praying. I'm praying. Does a church moving into their Sabbath year need that prayer? Absolutely, we do. Look at how he wraps this up. His body, we, his body, we get the fullness of him. Not only do we get the fullness of him, but it, but it says that we, we are his fullness. So the head at the right hand of the father, we are his body in here at, on earth. We are the living out of the power of God on earth. We are his fullness and he fills all in all. Um, maybe think about it this way. God's franchise plan is you and I. It's the church. You know what a franchise is? It's you open up your little, your little Mickey D's or you open up your little KFC in Louisville, Kentucky, and then you realize that it's so good that everybody else wants a little bit of it, and you start selling that thing out. And you give them an opportunity to, to build upon what you've already established, that this is so good, I'm going to spread it out. And now we've got them everywhere. There are like millions of these things around the world, right? God's franchise plan. Listen, it's you and I that what he's accomplished in Jesus Christ can now be played out throughout the earth, filling all things as the glory of God fills all things through Jesus Christ. He does it. He's pleased to do it. He's designed the whole thing to be done through us, his church, his body. We are the fullness of him on this earth. That doesn't mean that we somehow complete him because he's lacking. But what it means is, is that we, we are the completing phase of his work here on this earth. Or are we? And are we tapping into the power that the head has? Or are we just flailing around as weak limbs here on earth? Howard Hendricks, uh, professor, speaker, um, Dallas Theological Seminary, he would tell his students, he'd look at them before they, uh, before they would graduate, and he would say, I believe in you. 
I believe in you. Before they would get sent out into ministry. I believe in you. Not because of you, but because I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in you. Do we know what God can accomplish through those who know him, not just know him, not just who have a faith, but have a faith that that plays out in the loving of all the saints? No wonder Paul was so thankful in his recollection of them because he understands that it's, it's creeping into their heart, that there's activity showing that the church is actually doing something, that there is a burning within them that causes them to love one another. No wonder he was thankful for them. No wonder he prays for us that we would, that we would, that we would have a deeper wisdom, knowledge, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, that we could go deeper in our understanding of, of who this Father of glory is. Because if we, if we, if we see him more and more, then we'll burn more and more for him. And we'll be, we'll be hands, we'll be feet, we'll be his mouthpiece, we'll be his body with the power of the head on this earth. For the saints who love the saints, wisdom, revelation, to know him, to open the eyes of our heart, to be enlightened by God. This is Paul's prayer. To know what he has done, what he will do, and can now do by his power, the power displayed in Christ, our head, fulfilling and filling us to fill the world with his glory. How does God fill the world with his glory? It's through you and I. Um, all right, so here's the sermon in the sermon. Um, as we celebrated our Sabbath year last week, uh, the first and the start of it, and we talked about now, a couple times as we've approached this, we, we talked about the ram's horn and how God used that symbol from Abraham and Isaac, and it, and it, was, it was utilized in uh, the fall of Jericho as Israel marched around in obedience and in complete silence. They marched around, and their, their battle plan was that on the seventh day, on the seventh lap, they would blow that horn, <laughs> symbolizing, mind you, just as they do on every Sabbath occasion, that it's by God's might, by God's strength, not by ours. We're not looking for, a, we're not looking for a, a crumble in the wall. We're not looking for a weak spot. We're not looking for, for a military attack here. We're waiting for the power of God to bring the wall down. They blew the horn, they gave a shout of praise, and the walls fell down, and they, they went in, and they set captives free, and they, and they conquered by the glory of God. They did something interesting. God commanded them that when you go in, he said, burn it all. Rahab, if you remember the story, she and her family was saved out, a picture of God's grace going before judgment. But he told them that everything in this city, this, this first battle, has to be mine. Give it to me. You can keep nothing for yourself. Give it all to me. Why? Because I get all the glory. God does all the work. You're not going to be able to, pardon the silly expression, you're not going to be able to toot your own horn. It's by God's power. You tracking with me? And as a reminder of that, you don't get to plunder the city and keep it for yourself. You, in a sense, you tithe it back. You give it all to me because you trust me 
for everything that's going to come after this. This is the proving ground for your continual trust in me. Can you tithe this first city and all of its, all of its wealth to me? In the next chapter, um, something strange happens. It's, it's battle number two. It's game number two of this season. And it's a little city called Ai, and it's nothing in comparison to Jericho. And so somebody comes up with the idea, let's send a couple guys over and check out Ai. And so they do, and they come back and they say, hey, it's nothing. Actually, Joshua, don't even send, don't even send all, of our, all of our forces. Just send a few guys up. We'll take care of Ai, and uh, we'll be back soon. That's the attitude that they took. And as you can imagine, I mean, and we do this, right? They came off this, this great miracle of God, right? They saw the power of God, and, they're, and they're, they're jacked. They're hyped. And now they're going for this little guy over here. We're going to take him out. We're going to take him out. No real game plan. God hasn't said, do it this way. They just go, right? Probably a little over-anxious. Probably a little overconfident in themselves now. And they go, they don't really get a word from God, and that's, that's a mistake. And uh, some guys run up to AI, and AI just whoops them. Uh, if it were a movie, it's, it's the nation of Israel turning tail and running away from these weaklings because they underestimated them. And so now Joshua has to see Israel running away from the worst team that they play all season. You you catching this? He said, what in the world is going on? I mean, we we just conquered Jericho. Well, we didn't, but God did. Joshua, let me read to you here. You're not going to have this on the screen. If you want to turn, it's in the Old Testament. The battle of Ai goes something like this, and we'll be done. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua. Don't lead all the people. Only about two or 3,000 men need to go. So about 3,000 men from the people went up, but they fled. In a, in a single verse, they go up and they come back down. They fled. Verse 5 says something interesting. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men, and so we lose men here. Pursued them from the gate all the way back down the descent so that the hearts of the people, the people of Israel, melted and became as water. You know that phrase? It's used in previous chapters, not of Israel, but of, but of all their enemies that they see the nation of Israel coming and their hearts melted because of the God of the nation of Israel. And now look whose hearts are melting. Joshua's heart's melting. The nation of Israel, their hearts are melting. Joshua tore his clothes, fell on the earth, and his face before the ark of the Lord in the evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua cried out to the Lord, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan, only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Sounds kind of like Moses, doesn't he? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. This is the first time that you find Joshua really, really falling back into the habits of his mentor Moses. Joshua doesn't know the whole story though. Oh Lord, verse 8, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? Now everybody's going to hear about it, verse 9. All the inhabitants of the land are going to hear about how weak we are. 
What will you do for your great name, Lord? That's his prayer. And God says something I think is pretty funny. Joshua, get up. Why, why have you fallen on your face? As if to say, you should know the problem here. The problem is this. Verse 11, Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. And they've even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have put them among their own things. They've hidden them and they're acting like it's not even there. In, in, the, in the telling of this story, God, through the author, tells us, before he tells us the story of Ai, he tells us ahead of time what the problem is going to be. It's not just because they went ahead of God. You know what the real problem is? Is they had sin in the camp. Verse 1 of chapter 7, But the sons of Israel acted unfaithful in regard to the things under the ban. What ban? The ban that he placed on Jericho. For Achan, this one guy, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, mind you, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. You got this guy who was being disobedient. And so here's where the sermon and the sermon comes. Uh, I wholeheartedly believe, and I have a whole uh, I have a whole page here of notes of what I am praying and expecting and asking God for and trusting him in all of his power and all of his might to do for this church and this body in this place in this community but i don't know i don't know that there's not things that may be holding us back from experiencing the power that God would have us experience that resurrection power I just don't know that there's not something holding us back. And so this isn't, this isn't the, the part of the message where pastor starts pointing fingers around the room. This is the point in the message where you're asking the Holy Spirit, if you, if you called this place home or if you're thinking about calling this place home, you're thinking to yourself, this, this guy's talking about this church doing something amazing. I mean, we're talking about the Sabbath year and setting captives free and, and trusting God to make walls fall down and asking God for resurrection power and to do amazing things. And, and I haven't told you all the things that I'm dreaming here, but I'm, I'm praying that God raise up a lighthouse here. In my imagination, I just see on this 15 acres that this church, this place, this ministry becoming a lighthouse to this community, shining bright so that Everyone in this community would know the name Cornerstone, not to our glory, but to his glory, so that they would glorify him as they hear our name, that, that they're doing something amazing over there. They care about this community. They care about the people. They're feeding people. They're doing good things there. I've not heard about them being hypocritical. I don't know any of my neighbors who go to that church who are jerks. I've not seen that. There's no disparity between what I know in this community and what I see in what they're saying. They're doing great things in this place. They're reaching beyond this community. I'm hearing amazing things about this place, Cornerstone. They're teaching truth. They're teaching the Bible. They're standing firm. They're not just doing uh, a show. They're not just slick salesmen. I'm imagining all these great things that this community begins to murmur about us to the glory of the one who has put us here. I'm seeing this whole property full of ministry to this community. This garden dream I've had that I've, that I've been telling you about for years, it's still there. A hope house here on this property where we can, we can house people who need to be housed in a short time or in a long time. I don't know. I just see God filling up and using this property in ways that we, we don't even know yet. And this image of this lighthouse growing up, not a physical lighthouse, but this spiritual lighthouse that just, that just sends out the beam of God's Shekinah glory 
throughout this place, that, that we would be something here. I, I have that dream for us, but I, but I got to tell you, I don't, I don't know that we have the expectation or the wisdom or the revelation or the opening of the eyes of our heart to the power that we have access to. And I don't know, I, I, I pray it's not what's holding us back, but I don't know that there might not be some sin in the camp that I don't even know about, that maybe the rest of us don't know about, but only you can know about and only you can do something with. And I'm just saying, don't be the Achan in the camp that sends us up the hill only to turn tail. I'm expecting God to do things in this seventh year and start spreading the word to all those who didn't set their clock and start praying hard that you, it would start with you. That just go home and pray this prayer. God, I don't, I don't know that I get on the level that Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus to get. I don't know that I get the hope of the calling. <laughs> I don't know that I understand the riches of my inheritance. And I surely don't know that I understand that I have access through the head that I'm connected to as a part of the body, whatever part of the body I am. I don't know that I understand the power that I have access to here. And I, I don't know that I'm living it out. I don't know that your glory is filling the earth through me as your franchise plan. I don't know that. And it, and it may be that you need to say, God, if, if there's sin in me, point it out. And I'll, I'll move out of the way. Can I just be honest with you? Uh, when I was in college, I'd only been saved a couple years. And um, one of the guys on my football team, he was the head of the FCA for our school, and uh, we started a little dorm devotional in our uh, in our dorm, and uh, we would invite the football team to come. And uh, there was a time there in those in those college years where where my heart I was a believer, but my heart was not was not abiding with God. Let's just say that. And I was doing my own thing over here, and I was trying to straddle the fence and have my own thing going and have my God thing going over here. And at some point, can I tell you the 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 only wisdom I had was that, that I had to get out of the way. I got to get out of the way at some point. And I went to my buddy who, who was depending on me to be a part of leading this door devotion. I just said, man, um, I don't know a whole lot of things about what God wants from me right now, but I do know that he just wants me to shut up because there's some stuff in my life that doesn't match up. And it's, it's not to the glory of God. And I've just got to, I've just got to, Shut it down. And he was a little bit bummed and he was a little bit disappointed. He came back to me later, years later, and he said, uh, that was one of the smartest things I've ever seen anybody do. And I said, well, you, you know very well that it wasn't me because I, I had sin in the camp. I had sin in my heart. But God was gracious enough to give me, give me enough wisdom to say, I got to get out of the way because I, I'm blocking the light that God wants to shine through me. And I'm not just blocking it for me. I'm blocking it for for everything else that I'm involved in here. Now, your pastor's not telling you, get out of here. (laughs) He's not saying that. But I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you. This is a a serious deal. Um, There are men and women who who have been committed to the idea of what Cornerstone Church is standing for and upon for, for many years now. There have been families who have, who have stuck it out through hard times because of God's calling. Um, I'm not here for a job. I'm not here because this is my dream community to live in. It's just not. I'm here because God 
placed a vision for what is Cornerstone Church to be in this community. And it's, it's not done yet. But can I just tell you, that's not just a, that's not just a, a side gig thing for me and for so many other people in this place. And so take seriously, take seriously your part of this body that there would be nothing that casts a shadow on the glorious light of the Father that wants to shine through us. This world needs us to be salty. You know, Paul talks about being salt and light when the Gospels talk about being salt and light. This world, it's tired of just swallowing the bland nonsense that this world has to offer. It needs something with some bite, with some taste to it. It needs men and women who are living out truth, who are taking their faith to another level so that there is a burning in their heart that is evident. They need men and women who not only name the name of Jesus, but are allowing God to be that bright light in a dark and dreary and depressed, no-hope world. Uh, I told somebody, if we were preparing for this um, Sabbath celebration, we tried to do some things. We used it as kind of a deadline to get some things done around here. And we wanted to do a new bulletin and some other things we needed to fix. And um, so we used it sort of as a deadline. And I, I was telling somebody that was helping me as, you know, some of the things were, were giving us some trouble, et cetera. As God is giving me all this vision for what could be in this place, uh, it, the thought occurred to me because the, this, this person I was talking to, they, they have their own business. They've started their own business. They've seen it go from just an idea to uh, this garage startup thing to, to a, a major company now with a, with a great impact and uh, established a, a wonderful culture for employees, etc. And so I knew, what they, I knew that they would understand what I meant when I said this. But, but so that you know, my heart is that it's time to get this thing out of the garage, people. It's time that this thing not be a mom-and-pop operation anymore. The heart of your pastor is that as long as you need me to cut the grass, I'll cut the grass. I'll weed eat. I'll trim bushes. We'll, I'll do whatever. I, I hope you know that about my heart. I'll straighten the chairs. I'll make sure that there's pens in each one of them. Um, I'll come in and I'll make sure that the light's on in that room. I'll do those things. I'm a servant at heart, so uh, it's hard for me not to do those things, frankly. But, but what God is saying is, listen, pastor, you need to be pastoring more. There's some things I need you to be doing more. There's some things I need you to step it up a notch to do. This thing has got to get out of the garage. It's got to, it's got to stop being the mom and pop operation. We've got to get some more people involved if we want to have more impact, more ministry. If you, if, you, if you want this lighthouse vision thing to be true, then we've got to take this thing to a next level. And so that, that's, that's all of what I thought about saying last week, but you know who really needs to hear it? It's, it's you guys. It's not the people who used to be here and are gone now, or maybe we're visiting and just to encourage us, etc. It's, it, this is the rubber hitting the road. Spread the word. And sin in the camp can't stay in the camp. All right, we're going we're gonna to have communion. How about that? And with all that in mind, I remind you of the admonitions of Scripture. Come on up, Ricky.
that if you're not a believer, this, this time is, um, is not a time, I would say, for you to partake in the bread and in the cup. It would be a time for you to maybe sit and, and open your heart to what your Creator might have to say to you today. I would also say to you, if uh, the Spirit of the Lord is tapping on your heart or on your hard head, and He's saying, listen, buddy, there might be some things right here that you need to deal with that you're, you haven't dealt with before, then you don't, you don't need to partake here. And if you don't partake, nobody's going to look around and say, well, that guy must be the Aiken in the group. Can we disagree that that's not going to be the case? Amen? Can I tell you that right after I got saved and uh, I, I began to understand the weight of, uh, of the Lord's table and the remembering of His body broken for us and His blood spilled out for us, uh, I would very often, uh, in 11th and 12th grade when I got saved, uh, that cup would come around and I would just sit, I would just sit in the pew and I would stare into that juice and uh, with, a, I think, a holy, righteous fear I would ask God, um, God, am I, am I holy and completely yours? Or is there anything you need to, you need to talk to me about? And so, um, it may just be that God just, God just wants to take this time, the seriousness, the soberness of this time. And the sin may not be that deep. It may not be that covered. It may not be that egregious. It may not be. It may not be the sin of Achan that's holding us back. Whatever it is, it may just be that you need to spend a little extra time thinking on these things. So I'm going to trust that, um, that you will give due diligence to consider whether or not you need to be involved in the Lord's, the Lord's table this morning. But the Lord's table beyond that is open to all believers. And um, as this is kind of become the focal, our family table... We're going to do communion a little different today. I'm going to ask that uh, as Ricky plays and just kind of sings over us, I'm going to ask that you use the next few moments just to, to speak to the Lord. And do that as you come up, and we're just going to stand here around the table. I'm going, to, I'm going to pass bread around, and you can take the bread and break it yourself and pass it to the next family member. And I think that would be good as we do that around the family table. And I'll take, I'll take the wine, and I will, uh, I'll walk around with you. And as you're praying and as I'm praying and as we're breaking bread, you can take your bread and dip it and, and you can partake in communion this morning with the Lord. If you're going to remain in your seat, just remain in your seat. Just pray. Just, if you want to stare at the floor, stare at the floor. If you just need to stand where you are and sing praises to God, then, then you just need to do that. But God's table is open. Let me pray. Father God, we, we love you for what you've done. I thank you for the glimpse of the hope of the calling. What you've done for us, placing us in Christ. And I thank you for the riches of our inheritance that we have to look forward to. Lord, I pray that uh, your power would be released as your people come to know you in a greater, in a deeper way. Lord, that we would know you 
resurrection power. Lord, search our hearts. Search our hearts. We thank you that you you would bless this time as we remember, as we worship together around the family table.